Love I'll it, Jake. Go for it, mate. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was so good. Um, so, I guess to get started, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Jake, and I too was asked to share a photo to be put up on screen, but I would like to inform you that this is not the photo that I originally chose, and some members of the staff intentionally overlooked my original choice. So, as soon as my slides are up, I will show you my original photo. Okay, awesome. So, this was my original choice. Yeah. So, for those of you who don't know, Australian Open starts today. Just a, just a cheeky plug. Um, so, today we start a brand new salmon series. But thankfully for everyone, it's a one-part special. So, <laughs> um, I've been asked if I want to get up and speak about a part of scripture that means something to me. And for those of you who know me, it might not be, I guess, super surprising to hear that I want to talk about forgiveness. Some of you may already be aware that I have spent a good few years in opposition to God. Years that I guess were characterized by some really poor choices, hence my special appreciation for forgiveness. Like Peter in the upcoming reading, I too have found myself humbled, standing face to face with one who has the right to judge. For me, although I know the Bible has always told me that I am forgiven, I found it a struggle at times to take this truth beyond just a concept. Assuming it's okay with everyone, I'd just love to quickly pray. So, dear Lord, thank you again that we can gather today. I pray that there would be unity in your body and that everything we do here this morning would bring you glory. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we will be looking at the last chapter of John, John 21, verses 1 to 19. So if you would like to follow along, please do. You're more than welcome. But now I must introduce Miss Nadia Stewart up, who will be doing the reading for us. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Okay, um, as Jake said, we're reading from John 21, 1 to 19. Okay. Um, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came into the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw the fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to them again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Nadia. What a great opportunity to have young people in our church get up here and contribute. What a blessing. So, let me chuck this on the ground. Now, before we get into what I would really like to talk about, I do think it's just a little bit important for some context and some grounding as to exactly where we are in John. So commonly, people smarter than me will divide this book into four major sections. You have the prologue, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Throughout the next section, we witness many miracles, water into wine, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, the resurrection of Lazarus. This book is commonly called the Book of Signs, revealing the true identity of Christ and what he has come to do. Following on from here, the Book of Passion gives us the washing of the disciples' feet, the Last Supper, Jesus' prayer to the Father, his betrayal, and ultimately his resurrection. Over the entire book, it's kind of forward-looking to this thing called the hour, and as the book progresses, tension builds as the hour approaches, the hour ultimately being Jesus' glorification on the cross. Then Jesus, post-resurrection, appears to his disciples two more times, which lands us at John 21, the epilogue of the book, and John's parting gift to the community of believers. So, the disciples have been instructed to wait in Galilee, and the gang of Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, and Chris Vaderman decide to go fishing. <laughs> Sounds like the start of a really bad joke. <laughs> so, after a fruitless night of fishing, they're greeted by a stranger on the shore who inquires gently, asking if these children have caught anything. The stranger instructs the men on the boat to cast their net out one last time. I guess possibly used to following instructions that don't immediately make sense, the disciples quickly find their nets full of fish. Maybe it's a little bit of deja vu for them. With the realisation that this stranger is indeed Jesus, Peter's bound off the boat to shore, and we're given a really specific detail here, that the number of fish caught is actually 153. I know Josh has touched on this before when we went through Revelation, but Letters in the Greek can actually have, or they do actually have, numerical values attached to them. So essentially, you can have words and groups of words that equal numbers. Now, what's really interesting is that the sum of the words Simon and fish actually equals 153. 
So in my brain, this can only mean one conclusion, that Peter is himself a fish. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. There are a lot of like really insightful, I guess, inferences you can draw regarding the fish in this section, but I'm probably not the one to be talking about them. What I do want to talk about is the restorative and forgiving exchange we find in verse 15 and onwards. Here, we have Peter, who's been given the name of Rock, but has most certainly not behaved like one. In his friends' and teachers' time of ultimate trial and suffering, he rejects him. He rejects him three times. After following Jesus around the land of Judea for three years, he's nowhere to be found at the foot of the cross. I can only imagine his words recorded in Mark 14 echoing in the back of his head. Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. What a great burden of shame and regret to carry. I know my life doesn't mimic this situation exactly, but I can certainly resonate, returning, recalling times where I feel like I've failed gravely. So we come to the question, what do you do when you end up here? What would you do if you were Peter? I'd first like to present two very poor options that Peter could have used in order to feel forgiven. The first problematic approach that Peter could have taken is to simply work harder, to impress the shame of his past failings on others by showing little mercy to those who have failed in the same way. Now, I'm personally pretty fond of this one. It feels, it feels really good to earn things, and it can even have the appearance of like a real love and zeal for Christ. Unfortunately, in our world in recent times, we've seen Christians in the public eye outwardly condemning certain behaviours as major parts of their ministry, and then these very behaviours end up becoming their undoing. Certainly, no one wins in these situations. Dealing with our failings by vehemently attacking can lead to a wake of suffering and promotes living a facade that ultimately breaks down in the end. Now, the second problematic approach, which I am also well-versed in, um, is just to push that feeling of regret and shame deep down, really as deep down it'll, as it can go. A very plausible option for Peter in this situation. He could have continued his ministry as rock of the early church, but I seldom think that nagging feeling of past failures would have ever really gone away. Jesus knew his denials, and it's very likely the other apostles did also. Burdens like this over time will sap our energy. It can erode our confidence in Christ's work through us and we can end up emotionally burnt out, unable to love and engage with the people around us. In all my failings, I've come to understand that both these techniques come with a heavy burden, a burden that I don't believe Christ ever meant us to carry. A heavy burden that is no way coherent with the rejoicing heart promised earlier in John 16. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. So, what I posit to you is that the state of feeling forgiveness, or feeling forgiven, is the state from which we no longer hold onto the burdens of our past mistakes. This is the position from which we can be most effective in our ministry to the people around us. Oh, sorry. Although this is all good and well to say, some of you 
might even actually agree with me at this point. Uh, it's certainly a case of easier said than done. However, I have found the following exchange between Peter and Jesus extremely helpful. The first thing I'd like to note is the setting that Peter's restoration takes place in. Here on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias awaits the risen saviour, making breakfast for his dearest friends. Jesus most certainly has not lost his beautiful servant heart. There is no enmity with the one who forgives. He does not make Peter keep his distance. It's not distance he wants from me, even when I feel like distance is the correct thing to offer him. He still invites me near and intimately as both Lord and dear friend. And even when I feel distant to the heart of God, I must remember that he still invites me to the table to come and dine with him. It is in this context that we can understand the forgiveness that's offered to us. So the following exchange between Peter and Jesus I found really interesting. As we read into it, Jesus actively decides not to call Peter, well, I mean Peter, <laughs> the name bestowed upon him that signifies him as rock of the early church. Rather, he uses his formal name. It's quite, an, it's quite a formal address. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? With the help of people a lot more knowledgeable than me, it's most likely that the these in this verse is referring to the company of disciples also sharing in breakfast. Previously, Peter has had no problem expressing his confidence in his commitment for Christ. He was confident enough to even claim that his faithfulness would exceed that of his contemporaries. Jesus seemingly wants to know if Peter still has that proud estimation of his love and devotion. Peter affirms his love for Christ. The comparison is now gone. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus pushes him two more times. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I'm acutely reminded of my own life in this moment. As I alluded to earlier, my walk in life has been a far from stellar performance. <laughs> because of some very poor choices, I found myself sitting in front of the judgment seat in the district court, powerless and at the mercy of the judge. In some ways, a little bit like Peter in this situation. This judge had the authority to decide the direction of my future years, to punish me harshly, nevertheless fairly, to leave a black mark next to my name for every job I would ever apply for, or to even worse, put me in jail. There's only one correct response in these situations, and I think Peter knows it, is to be completely and utterly humbled. There's only one correct response. Jesus did not shy away from Peter's failing. If anything, he seems to really, I guess, bring it front and centre with the line of questioning taking place around the charcoal fire, a vivid flashback to where Peter's denial took place. Part of truly embracing forgiveness is to stand face to face with our failings, to acknowledge that they suck and to be humbled by them. You can never embrace forgiveness from a position of pride. You just can't. So, we're implored by scripture to confess our sins to God, but something I personally am not very good at is the confession of sins to others. Confession becomes extremely tough for me when I'm too proud to do it. 
and I've got a really interesting quote from a recent psychological journey that I, or journal that I think helps explain this phenomenon. So, the desire to think of yourself as good and moral is an integral part of your identity. Confessing to a past misdeed can threaten that reputation. The strong bias that leads people to see themselves in a favourable light can compete with the equally strong desire to relieve the guilt associated with a violation of that part of the self. I like this quote. I feel like it's really insightful as to why we might hesitate to confess even when we seek relief from our guilt. The point here is that there must be humility if we are to walk without the burdens of our past failings. And I've found talking to someone can really help with that. Um, if I could just get the band up, that would be great. Thanks, guys. Okay. So, what does, Pete, what does Jesus now expect of Peter? Jesus calls Peter to look ahead to the mission set out for him. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Look after the family of believers. Continue in my teachings and teach others to do the same. Then in the final verse of our reading, Jesus simply asked the very thing he asked for from the beginning. Follow me. Believe in me. Love me. Walk with me. I found this so true and so rich when confronted with my own failings. Jesus has not disowned me, even when my actions show that I disown him. I can turn back to the simple commitment he has asked from the very beginning to follow him. Being one of our cornerstone distinctives, I know this will be close to a lot of our hearts. As we draw to a close, I'd just like to summarise three points from the passage that have helped me bring the rich truth of forgiveness into a tangible reality for me that have helped me actually feel forgiven. One, remember the nature of our forgiver and the loving content. Two, to be upfront to God and at times others with our failings and to allow ourselves to be humbled by them. And three, to remember that this is not the end and to remember the initial call of Christ to return to the beginning and simply follow him. Thank you all for giving me the opportunity to speak. I hope it's been at least a little bit beneficial in some respects. Thanks, guys.